welcome. Good to see you. I pass the peace to you as well. And uh, just glad that we can have 75 degrees out here. This is nice. Um, let's stand. Let's continue to stand as we uh, read the word of the Lord. You can follow along in liturgy if you have your Bible. Uh, you can open it to Acts chapter 2. This is the story of the day of Pentecost, which Lemus referenced a couple times. So we're going to read the first uh, 13 verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, meaning the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? And others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You can be seated. On your chairs or blankets. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about Acts chapter 2. Father, we thank you for this day that you made that shows us your glory and your beauty and your grace to us and allowing us to gather safely out here uh, to sing, to remember this day that we celebrate as Pentecost, the day when you poured your spirit, yourself, your very self out on um, people in order that your church might be formed. And so we pray as a church gathered here that you would remind us of that event, that you would impress upon us the the reality of your presence among us and the call that you have placed on us uh, to be uh, your disciples. Open our eyes and our hearts now as we hear your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So it was just over a year ago is when our first launch team meeting happened in the basement over at Carmel. And so I was been, Lem and I have been kind of talking about, we're not at a year, we launched in September, but we it's kind of a year since we first, in some sense, gathered to become a church, to start understanding what a church is and what it would mean for us to be a church. And also today, as Pentecost, is the end, in one sense, of the liturgical calendar. The, the story of Jesus that we that Lem was talking about, that we track through the year, starts in Advent, and then it tracks through until the day of Pentecost. So Jesus comes at Advent, and then you celebrate all the different things, the important events of his life throughout these last six or seven months, and then he ascends uh, 10 days ago would be 40 days after Easter is when the ascension is marked. 
And then the beginning of Acts is when he sends the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of the transition from the story of Jesus being on earth to the story of the church now bearing the presence of Jesus into the world. And so as Lem and I talked about what would be helpful for us to think about and talk about as the church in this season, especially over two months of a lot of um, what I call kind of COVID confusion, over just what we're supposed to do in, in our lives, how we're supposed to feel, how we're supposed to think. What, it, what does it mean to be a church when you're not allowed to meet? There's a lot of just confusion on what does it mean to be a church. And so after one year of beginning to be the, the seed of a church to now gathering weekly and passing ourselves through this chaos and confusion, we're going to do five weeks here in Acts chapter 2 uh, that I'm going to just call Church Essentials. Five things. These are going to be short, mostly short, uh, hopefully short. I don't have my phone because it's right there. Hey, folks, uh, I also don't have a wall clock, so I could preach till 5, 6, 7 o'clock. Um, be careful what you wish for. Um, so church essentials, we're going to look at five things that are essential for beating a church and then hopefully apply that to our current, uh, our current situation. So um, we'll start here at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. You see in the story that... Um, the, the disciples were there, and it doesn't just mean the 11 disciples. It actually means there's 120 people that were the, the disciples, this group that had come and fo- had met with Jesus and seen Jesus and followed him during the time that after his resurrection. And they're in Jerusalem because Jesus told them when he ascended, I want you to go and stay in Jerusalem and wait until I send my spirit to you. I will send power to you, and then you will go and do do what you're supposed to do. So this is the transition point. The disciples, having watched Jesus ascend into the clouds, are now sitting and waiting for what's next. They're they're, they're huddled around, but they're not alone, because what you can't see in the text sort of references it is, uh, I don't know if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked, the last time we were out here, we looked at Psalm 122, which was a song of ascents, when all the people would take their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, and there's three main pilgrimages during the year, and one of them is... Uh, for the day of Pentecost. It was called the, uh, the Feast of Weeks. It was to celebrate the harvest, the first fruits, the beginning of the wheat harvest, and they would all come up to Jerusalem. So there's all these people from all over, all over the world, and you see the list, the international list there, of all the people from all over the world who are gathered in Jerusalem. Not a coincidence. And the disciples are there as well, but they're not there. They're there for the feast, but they're there for another reason, waiting for God to send his first fruits into the world. And so they're all of these people and they're ready for this new era and they're just sort of waiting. And that's where the story picks up and says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. And I want you to see three things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes down and comes to the people, comes to the disciples at this moment. And this is the first essential of being a church. We just say it. That's the point of the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes, is that the first essential of being a church is the Holy Spirit. The church is primarily, essentially about God. It's for God. It's by God. It's through God. It's in God. And in that, um, in doing that, God sends himself, who we call the Holy Spirit, the third of the persons in the Trinity, which is a big topic to talk about. But God being three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who is sent to be, be the one that leads and guides and directs and orients the church. In other words, the church, what we do here when we gather, this is not a human institution. 
This is not a human organization. I mean, it is at one level, but that's really secondary to the main essential of what we do here is that we gather around and for and in and through God, the Holy Spirit. For us to be a church, we have to be centered around the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see three things from this story. This is a special story. We are not supposed to emulate this or imitate this. This is not prescripting for what we're supposed to do, running around trying to speak in foreign languages or thinking that we don't have the Holy Spirit. So once in a lifetime, once in a generation, once in history event, and yet at the same time there's three things I think that we can get out of this for how we as a church need to be operating during this time in order to understand that the first essential of being a church is the Holy Spirit. So here's the first thing. The first thing that's essential in knowing about the Holy Spirit is that the people in the story waited for the Holy Spirit. They waited for him to come. Jesus, you can imagine they spent three years, a lot of these people with him every day. They're seeing him, they're eating with him, and then he he dies, and they see him get resurrected, and they spend time talking and eating with him, and they're all excited. And in the, the previous chapter, they say to him, all right, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And he's like, not really. Uh, it's not really for you to know about that, but I'm going to send someone. So you just stay put, kind of sit down, huddle up, and wait. And that's what we find them doing in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. They waited for the Spirit. Jesus promised in uh, earlier in Luke chapter 24, Luke also wrote the book of Acts, so this is kind of one big story. It's Jesus had told them previously, stay in the city until you are clothed in power. So there's this command to stay and wait. Stay and wait. Stay and wait. And the reality behind that is that the church exists as a response to the activity of God. We don't run out ahead and do what we want. We, we operate as a church. We exist as a church because of the activity of God. So we don't wait in the same way. We're not huddled up waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. But in a similar way, we need to listen and wait for the Spirit. We don't like to do that. Listening and waiting are hard. We want to do it our way. We want to see a problem. We want to fix it. We want to run over here and do this. We want to run here and do this. We're Americans. We get stuff done. We, we have ingenuity. And we... we we miss that all the things that we do here ought to be done in response to the activity of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we as a church are dead in the water. We are nothing if we are not responding to the active work of the Holy Spirit. And that works individually and corporately. You see in the story, the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit signaled coming down on every single individual person. But yet what they did, they did collectively. So there's this interplay between the Holy Spirit in all of us and the Holy Spirit in us as a community. So together and separately, our primary and first job, if we're going to be a real church, is to be listening and waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's not passive. We tend to think of listening as a passive activity, but listening is an active thing. That's what I've said about preaching. We think of preaching as some guy gets up and says a lot of words while you get to sit there and eat a donut or drink your coffee, or whatever. No, preaching is a dynamic exercise where one person is speaking and everyone else is actively listening, where we're engaged together to discern what God is doing among us. Listening is active. It's this posture of looking actively and trying to find where is God, what is he doing, and how can I respond to that? If we want to be a healthy church, it is essential that we assume this posture of paying attention and looking and listening to God. Maybe you've heard me say that before. I say it a lot because it's something we're bad at and it's something that's 100% essential for being a church. So they waited for the Spirit and we wait and respond to God. 
number one. Number two, they don't just sit in the room and wait, and then when the Spirit comes, they don't just throw a party. What do they do? They act. Acts 1.8 is Luke's version of the Great Commission, where Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you, and you will be my witnesses. So we, we first wait and listen, waiting on the activity of the Holy Spirit, but then we respond and act. A witness in court, somebody calls a witness in court, that person has seen something, and now they're going to speak about it. And that's job number one that he has given to his disciples and by extension to all of us. That we're listening and waiting and responding to the Holy Spirit. And then in that, we are telling the Holy Spirit's message. Right? Later down in, in chapter 2, the people are amazed and they're like, what is going on? But did, did you catch the little note about what the disciples were doing? What were they hearing? They were hearing in their own language, not an advertisement about two-for-one McGriddles at McDonald's, which would be amazing, because I love McGriddles. No, it was the mighty deeds of God that they were proclaiming. That's the action. The primary job of the church in dealing with the Holy Spirit is to proclaim the Holy Spirit's mighty works. See, God is proclaiming through us His deeds. So we sit and we watch and we wait and we listen, but we're not passive. And as we hear and as we receive God's calling, we respond with action, which is proclaiming the power and the mighty deeds of God. Likewise, that's them. They're proclaiming that. We too, if we're going to be listening as well, we also need to be obeying when we hear. We don't get to just make up our own agenda. We want to do that. But the, the gospel commands us, God commands us in the good news to come and then to obey. We need to listen. We need to obey. We're too willing to seek our own, to make our own plans. When the Holy Spirit comes to us, we need to act. We need to be a church that acts in response to the Holy Spirit. I want, I hope, I want to feel the weight of that. I want you to feel the weight of that. That, that Raising your hand and saying, I am part of the family of God, I'm part of the church, means that we are coming under this calling and this mission to act on behalf of God for the world. That becomes our job number one. It's not something that we can just kind of compartmentalize off. It becomes an, it should become an all-consuming thing for us as people to respond to God by acting in obedience, by proclaiming His might. First, we need to listen. We see that in there. They're waiting. The Holy Spirit comes to them, and they respond by going out and proclaiming, doing what the Holy Spirit has called them to do. But the last thing is essential because there's a lot of churches and a lot of us who get those first two things. We listen, we hear, we read God's word, we go to church, we hear sermons. We, we want to do what God calls to do, so we run out in obedience. But if we try and do that without dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to succeed. The response, when I was, as I was meditating on these first couple of verses, the, one of the things that was fascinating was the words used to describe the response of the other people, not the disciples, but the response of the other people in the crowd. There's like a bunch of words. Uh, in verse 7, it says they were amazed and they were astonished. In verse 12, it says they were amazed and perplexed. There was another one that I noticed while we were reading, actually. Um, they were bewildered. All of those words point to a single reality. 
And that is that these people were coming face to face, the non-disciples were coming face to face with some kind of power that they couldn't understand, that they couldn't explain. That the act of a person, of the disciples, going out, doing the thing God had called them to do in response to listening and waiting on the Holy Spirit, was powered by supernatural power. And the people around them, they understood that. And the disciples, the reason why Christianity was able to take off and explode in the beginning so quickly and rapidly is that the disciples, who had spent time with the physical, bodily Jesus... After he resurrected and sent the Spirit, they didn't just believe that he was kind of like with them. Chris and I watched the uh, new Lion King the other the other week. And you remember the scene where uh, the king takes Simba out and he points to the stars and he's like telling them about, you know, that the, the, the fathers are, the an, our ancestors are with us. Right? And it's kind of like this uh, ooey-gooey inspirational, like they'll be there to help you and support you and encourage you. And they'll kind of be your like, you know, I don't know. They're, they're just there to help you. That is not at all. And I think we kind of sometimes think that's what, what we mean when we say that God is with us or Jesus is with us or the Holy Spirit is with us. Is we have this kind of vague idea that like he's just there kind of helping us somehow. But the disciples, after having spent three years with Jesus and seen him resurrected from the dead, they believed 100% that he was actually physically present with them as they went about their business. And that they were empowered to do what they were called to do because of that presence and power of Jesus. And in a lot of ways, we have lost that ability to see and believe that. We live in such a secular world that any idea that there is something supernatural actively at work within us, we just kind of like, it seems everyone thinks we're crazy, so we try not to talk about it or think about it. We try to just get it done on our own. And yet there's no way that the, whole, that the disciples could have gone out and done what they did without believing and embracing that the Holy Spirit was a, was a real personal presence with them empowering them to do what God had called them to do. You say, why don't we see miracles? Why can't I talk in tongues? Why can't I raise the dead? Why can't I do all the things that we read about in the New Testament? God uses in different things in different times, in different ways. The Spirit gives power in different times, in different ways, in different places. The book of Acts is this extraordinary demonstration that the, that the Holy Spirit is present and real. And as we walk through church history, you see at times and places where the Holy Spirit comes out in big sort of miraculous shows. And yet most of the time, through most of church history, even in most of the epistles that we read, we see that what is encouraged is the ordinary, faithful belief that God is working through ordinary things. Ordinary things like the preaching of God's word. We believe that the power and presence of Jesus is here, changing our hearts as we listen to his word. That's miraculous. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't believe in that, then we should go home. Like, I, I have nothing to say to you besides what I can read and understand and believe is coming from God to you. I, none of us are really, Clay is, is very exciting. The rest of us, very boring people. We don't have a lot to offer each other. You get a bunch of people in community say, we're going to live as a family, you know what, you're going to get conflict. This is not worth it. This is not enough. This is not going to help you at all unless we believe that we are dependent on the very presence of God among us. That is essential for us to be a church. And unless that is something we talk about and think about and embrace among us, even in the most ordinary of our interactions, we are wasting our time gathering. But we do believe that. And so this is one of the reasons why it's essential that we gather together 
as safely as we can, as quickly as possible. Because the Holy Spirit is among us when we gather in ways that he is not when we don't gather. That could take a lot of explaining. But when we gather together, God is doing something among us because all of us bring the Holy Spirit together when we gather. And God does something among us that he doesn't do when we're apart. It's essential for us to be a church, to gather together, to listen to the Spirit, to respond and act and to trust. Those are the three things. Listen, obey, and trust. The Holy Spirit, God himself, among us, is the number one essential for us to be any kind of church. But we trust in ourselves. That's what I want you to just think about today. Where are you tempted to disbelieve what I just said? What part of what I said is hard to, to believe, hard to embrace? We have to look that doubt in the face, talk about it with one another. Where do we believe that God is not active? Or we don't think that he's here? Jesus proved to the disciples that he was worth believing in the face of doubt because he raised himself from the dead. And they saw him walk out of the tomb and they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. So when he says he's going to send a power and a power comes, we're like, okay, I, I don't really understand this. I have like this much doubt, but I saw a man come out of a grave. There's not much I can do but believe that. We don't have that bodily presence of Jesus, so we need to be gathering, reminding each other that what we believe is true, that the stories in here are true. The Holy Spirit is real and he is here. Jesus is worth trusting, and that means that we trust him and we throw out our trust in other things. The first essential of a church is the Holy Spirit. That this church, this thing that we're trying to do is a supernatural thing. It's not a human idea. It's not a human organization, but it is gathered by and for and through the Holy Spirit of God. We need to believe this. In a time that we're in, in a time of churches not meeting, in a time of anger and racism and riots, the Spirit is here. We're going to affirm that as we take communion in a few minutes. The Spirit is here. Let's meditate on that. Let's wait for Him. Let's listen. Let's respond when we hear, believing that we have a calling, that we don't get to just be passive observers when we come into this family. And let's trust that God is going to make that effective. The Holy Spirit is here. That's why we're a church. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our eyes to be opened. Just as the disciples that day received your spirit in power and believed and responded in action and then trusted that your supernatural power was among them. And out of that, you built your church from 120 disciples into what it is today. Father, we pray that you would continue to do that. We want to believe and yet we are mixed with our own doubt and our own fear and our own self-interest. Father, let us put those things aside that you might draw us to yourself, seeing your activity among us, and believing that we don't do this for fun, we don't do this because we think it's a good idea, but that you have called us by your supernatural power into your family. Let us be the church that you're calling us to be.
also pray that as we uh, give to your church, we would have that vision in our eyes, knowing that as we give, we give to see your, uh, your kingdom go forward, remembering that all things are for and through and about you, and that we own nothing. We ask that you would be praised and honored by it.